so interesting to watch. And, and like I think I mentioned before, the the family dog is um, is like a cat. I mean, I swear she is. She's not the type of dog that just comes up to you and loves on you and licks you like endlessly. We we've had those dogs growing up. We've always been a dog family, but um, this dog is very very different. She's uh she's so cute. She's just little Havanese. But it's interesting how she acts is just like a cat. So I'm like, that's the best of both worlds. I like I like cats. I'm just allergic to cats is honestly why oh, I'm like I see. Oh. and I've tried. It happened in high school that's what um, it is. with those same friends that the, the one of the it was a girlfriend of one who would uh who would call me Big E. But it was uh his <laughs> his cat. His cat was like this cute little kitten and it was great but i didn't know i was allergic to cats up until then i wasn't we had cats when i was a kid and Damn. all of a sudden just like we, i would spend the night i just like sleep on on his floor and then uh like you know sleeping bag all that stuff and um mm-hmm. i'd wake up in the morning and the cat would have like been around me and slept near me and oh my god my nose like i couldn't breathe through my nose and my eyes were like itchy and fiery Shit. and i was like what is happening and found out that it was just that I was allergic to the cat. If I touched the cat and then touched my face or touched my eye, that's when it was really bad. And that's how I knew. I was like, oh, was it so only the face? Really only the face. Yeah. Or, you know, and I have like gotten like little hives on my arm. It sucks because I, I think cats are really, really cool. Um, but anyway, yeah. so no, I was just giving him shit because, because <laughs> I could, and I was just like, you don't know where that cat's been. I was, I was just giving him a bunch of shit and he was, he was just eating it right <laughs> up and he just kept, it was funny cause he was instigating more and more as I gave him more shit because it was just fun. He would take another picture and send it. And it was like, first it was here. Then it's over on his shoulder. Then it's mm. over here, and I was, <laughs> and he's got the oh, same. Oh, so that's what he was doing. Yeah, and he's got the shape, the same smile, like the same fake smile or same plastered smile. Just he, <laughs> I was just so proud. And I was. That's like, what hey, that's, that's what I, I find hilarious about him is that he it's you can you can start jabbing him. Yeah, and then he he it's almost like he asks for more. Yeah, just keep it going. True. That's right. Exactly. He comes back for more. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> he does. But he always has his own little exchanges. You, you can't touch him. That's what's so funny about it. Like you can. He keeps. He keeps at, coming back for more because he thinks it's funny and he won't. He won't. It won't harm him. But it's yeah. great because you can still just keep pushing it. Um. And so that, that was funny. I, I started off saying that it was Satan, and then I said that it was the spawn of Satan. And then I went so far as to say stuff that was just like, I was like, well, you know, it's too late. You're already possessed. Uh, forget what it, I said. He said, he said, you know, Satan comes in many forms <laughs> and shit. And I was like, you know, he's got that bow tie on and everything. Like, don't be fooled by the bow tie. This is just how he's. And he's like, oh, no, but he's cute. And I was like, well, then he's already won, Eric. He's already won. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, you probably can't see it. The T-shirt I'm wearing. Ooh. Actually. Trick question Overly because sick. I'm not wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> no, the, yeah, I got the Overlook Hotel yeah, t-shirt. It was weird. You didn't like the little t-shirt. twins in the front. Yeah, dude, that's badass. That's a great t-shirt. Overlook. Yeah, one of my favorite t-shirts. I, I I don't remember where I got it, but I remember I ordered online somewhere, <laughs> and when I saw that design, I immediately. Hell yes. That was actually what, what won me over and got me to check out the rest of their stock because if I could find a cool little throwback t-shirt like that to something in an in an obscure way because that's the way I, I prefer to to rock like anything yeah. that's actually linked to some sort of uh, intellectual property. I want it to be subtle. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to just be like, boom, you know, Dude. The Shining or Dr. Sleep or whatever. Yeah, yeah, same, same. <laughs> And so uh, I like the fact that all it says is just the Overlook Hotel, and they just got this intricate design on it. And 
only anyone that's ever seen The Shining is going to know what the hell that is. Right. They'll be like, Overlook Hotel, what's that? That's stupid. I was like, whatever. He must have got that on some road trip, you know, right. to Colorado. Eh, maybe. <laughs> I won't I won't even bother. But yeah. Um I was thinking of the uh the um Gary Oldman gif, but you know, he, he just like really emphasizes it. Yeah. I was even imitating his his like mouth movements and everything. I don't know how not to. Every time I see it, I'm just like, I have to, I have to. Yeah, when you posted it, I was like so happy. <laughs> In the chat, I was like, yes, everyone. <laughs> he enunciates it so well. And I may have mentioned this to you before, but side note, in an interview, he said that that was totally random. He, he, that was just totally off the cuff. He just decided really? to do the scene that way. He did, they oh, did several perfect. takes, and he just decided to do that take that way. That's a whole other... We should probably do a review of The Professional. I would totally watch that movie again. It'd be like the fifth time I've seen that movie. Actually, this is, a, this is episode three of The oh, Professional. No, shit. Me. Right? Uh, I mean, should, should we get into it? Oh, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's dive right in. Yeah, to be continued. What's up, guys? Welcome to Afflictionados Podcast Episode 3. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is my good friend, Michael. Hello. This is I. As we like to do, we like to stop with a, a nice song for, for our folks. Let's play ball. It's game day. <laughs> we want strikeouts, base hits. Yeah, the whole bit. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is a monthly podcast where we mainly talk about films that we think are intriguing, engaging, thought-provoking, enticing, terrible, or otherwise just entertaining to us. We may also slip in some TV shows or other forms of media here and there. Needless to say, we will be getting into spoilers here. I repeat, we will be getting into spoilers here, so you have been warned. And also, we do condone foul language, so if you ain't ready, then get ready, because in today's episode, we will be covering Dr. Sleep. So let's go. Boom. I don't know if you knew this with Dr. Sleep, but I always thought Dr. Sleep was a direct sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. His, his movie that came out in, what was it, 1980? So I always thought it was a direct sequel to that, but actually when I was, I was looking into the background for this movie, it, it was more or less a true to form of the Dr. Sleep novel that came what? out. Okay. And the novel is the direct sequel to the shining novel. novel. So that's why I, I was like, wait, wait, hold on. So I, I kind of had this, the, the story flipped a little bit. So the Dr. Sleep novel was released in 2013 so that was like what four decades after the, the original novel. Like that was, oh, so it came out. The original Shining came out in 1977. So it was that 36 years apart? Wow. Something is. I kind of wonder what made him think that The Shining even needed a sequel in the first place, and for him to actually go revisit that that universe so far later down the line. I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I mean, one that we, who knows? Maybe he's answered that in a in an interview. But yeah, it certainly begs the question: what um, what did he want to say? What what was he was how was he inspired to to do this? Especially, I didn't know that it was um that that book came out in 2013. That's that's a long not not that long ago actually yeah. when you think about it, you know. But that was a long time in between right. the last book. 
So yeah, right. thirty six years, right? Thirty six years, and so many other books that that he's he's written, and um, so many ideas, you know, that he that he has mm-hmm. that you'd think, well, why would he ever go back? Especially for a sequel. I mean, it'd be like him going back and doing something for Cujo or Carrie or something like that. Why? Why yeah. of all of these, of his of, of all his books, would he go back for this one, particularly? Uh, I mean, it's definitely later. one of his most well-known and most successful, right? It is, it is, and it's so well, and it's also so different than the Stanley Kubrick movie. Um, I, uh, I haven't, fin- I haven't read the book myself. I do have a copy of it, and I've, I've started it. Um, I, I'm a big Stephen King fan, but, um, but I do know that the 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 key distinction is that is made between the book and the movie is that in the book, there's a big spoiler. Um, are you familiar with the ending of uh, of the book? Of which one? Of the of the of the Shining. Sorry, the Shining. Oh yeah. Book. Okay. Yep. So the 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 boiler room, um, being the the heart of of the the Overlook, the Overlook Hotel, right? And so yep. destroying that is is how they destroy the ho- the hotel. Actually, the the whole evil spirit. Of and it's weird because they they did mention that in the original Shining movie, didn't they say uh, when they're they're giving them orientation around the hotel, they tell them specifically you have to maintain the boiler because that if you don't, that shit's gonna explode. So definitely make sure that you take care of this if nothing else. I feel like they mentioned it and then they just kind of never really went back to it. Yeah, I think that Kubrick's vision was just different in how he wanted to portray the the evil and and mm-hmm. how he wanted to see that through I I don't know cuz you know at the very end obviously of the movie the Overlook Hotel stands and in in Doctor Sleep the movie the Overlook Hotel is still there yeah. as well. So Yep. So yeah, there are a they, lot of differences in Kubrick's film when compared to the novel. Right. So that's that makes me interested in in reading both novels now, just because I'm wondering. Well, for the movie, they they kept the Overlook Hotel. I wonder what happened in doc in the book Doctor Sleep. Where, where where did he go at the very end? If that place has already been just been blown up, did they rebuild it? And then is he going back and blowing it up again? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just curious. <laughs> but yeah, I, I haven't read the Doctor Sleep novel myself either. But um, I did, from what I heard, the director, Mike Flanagan, for Dr. Sleep, he didn't want to do a full-on one-to-one sequel to The Shining or to Dr. Sleep, but he, he did want to, want to be a little bit more accurate to the source material. But at the same time, he felt that the world that Kubrick built with, with uh, The Shining, that, that's something that people are already familiar with their, they associate with the shining. He, he didn't want to exactly retcon the film. Uh, so what he ended up doing was trying to do the impossible task of incorporating all three source materials, the shining novel, which is the 1977 book, the 2013 sequel, Dr. Sleep, and the 1980s film *The Shining* by Stanley Kubrick. So right. he wanted to incorporate elements from all three of those. Yeah, no, that's that's honestly hats off to him. That's quite ambitious, honestly. You know, you're gonna piss off. You're, 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 you can't please everyone, and in some sense, you know, he, he he. I don't know if he really went in with that intention, but he certainly got people's attention. I think um, 
I think it was a it was a success, was it not? A, a box office success. I think it made back. Uh, Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, I I heard that it it did really well. I'll I mean, I don't I don't know if it's gonna top The Shining, but oh, sure, certainly not. No, that's that's a tough act to follow, honestly. But yeah, uh, the the consensus uh, word of mouth, people were like, "You've got to go see this." Like, I'd see friends who loved horror movies who who really were uh, fans of of really good classic horror and um, would say that this was a, a great follow-up. They, they really liked it. And then my dad, of course, being the person who introduced me to horror films um, themselves and, and had seen the movie originally and showed me the movie, uh, the Shining yeah. Kubrick's film was a, uh, was a big fan. He really, really dug it. So I was like, wow, okay. Well, like I can't wait to see this. So I, you know, I was not disappointed myself. I, I, I did like it. You and McGregor does a great job too. Oh yeah. Uh, and it looks like it was, it was a, a modest success so the budget was somewhere between 30 and 50 mil and it made 72 oh yeah yeah seems like it, it did pretty well for itself right, right and like we said you know obviously it wasn't going to top the the og shining movie because that one i think the budget was 20 mil roughly and it brought in 47 mil so actually you know i oh, wonder yeah, how much that would be if you adjusted yeah 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 for inflation yeah mm-hmm. i don't know but i mean mm-hmm. if it's 20 and then 40 that's practically the same in terms of the it's almost half right it, it, it doubled not half but mm-hmm. it, it doubled and, and and like you said dr sleep doubled too if it was like 30 mil or was mm. I wrong about that? It was like it was thirty to fifty. So thirty to fifty. Okay, thirty to fifty. Yeah. Mil, and it made seventy something. I'd like say you know not too bad. I mean, hell, every, everyone made money. They got paid. That's that's good. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think it deserves a, a viewing. God, the performances were, I thought, amazing. There were some things, of course, and we'll get into this later, that I thought um, I questioned at the very least. I just was like, oh, this was this is, mm-hmm. this could have been handled differently. I don't know, but oh yeah. He's trying to pull all these worlds together, so I get it. I get it. It's that's not easy to. And, and for instance, one of the the main differences in the Kubrick film and mm-hmm. the the Shining novel was the hedge maze. You know, that's it's notorious because <laughs> I, I don't I don't think this was any secret, but Stephen King famously hated Kubrick's adaption of The Shining, especially the the direction of Jack Torrance and the climax of the movie, because he felt that Jack, uh, the the version that he wrote in the book, actually had redeeming qualities, whereas Jack in The Shining film, played by Jack Nicholson, was just a jackass. <laughs> so many jacks. Uh, mm-hmm. So <laughs> but, many jacks. Yeah. Jacks. But he, he was just uh, upset that Jack Torrance was portrayed as just this utter piece of shit that you mm. you didn't give a shit about. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I I get that. I mean, having not having read the book myself, um, I I I don't know. Um, I can't I can't say. But what I will say is, I could see that. I could see that there seems to be no re- redemptive quality to the Tor- the Jack Torrance character of the film. But there is a slow. There is something that I do appreciate about Kubrick's way of showing the slow the the the, the gradual decline in his psychology that his growing into madness basically there's just that one scene where he's just you know the sun's streaming through the you know the morning lights coming through his his hotel room window and he's just like just staring vague just vacantly 
off into oh, the just, distance, just like eyes glazed of, over, right? Eyes glazed over. His his like his slack jawed a little, his mouth agape a little bit, just kind of yeah, just uh like his 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 chin is down and his brow is for I don't know. He just looks like he's just like he's lobotomized, kind of not unlike his character <laughs> in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Also, uh, spoiler alert, but he, lo- he looks lobotomized in that in that scene. Huh. And so you, you kind of see this liveliness in him. And then you see this pleading quality to him when he's at the bar and he's just so pissed off and he's explaining the time when he broke Danny's arm. You know, how he yanked oh, the is, he, is that when he's talking to Lloyd, the bartender? Which, which then makes me question, is that bartender's name really Lloyd? Because, because in, in Dr. Sleep, when um, Danny goes and, and into the Overlook Hotel by himself, tells tells uh, Abra to wait in the car and to mm-hmm. kind of be a lookout, and and he goes in, turns on the boiler room, kind of wakes up the dead, so to speak. The lights kind of kick on and everything, and then he goes <laughs> into that same bar where his dad spoke to a bartender bartender who claims to be Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, only when he walks up, it's his dad, of course, and he sits there, and they have this back and forth before the actually the camera actually reveals somebody that's a, a kind of a Jack Torrance lookalike. We'll just say it's Jack Torrance's character. Okay. But, um, I think I, I think it's implied that it, it, it's supposed to straight up just be Jack Torrance. But it is. right, it is. I, I feel like because that was the moment, that was the exact moment that Jack just lost all control to the Overlook was when he took that uh, sip of that fake imaginary alcohol that he was he thought he was being served. Right. I felt like that was right. when he he submitted to the Overlook, and then the Overlook just took over his body. Right, so I right. wonder if that he was almost the that was where he he was essentially lost his 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 soul died, and uh, so I wonder if that's why he's serving as the bartender. He he essentially took Lloyd's spot as the bartender, and he was right. he was being used as a tool by the Overlook to lure Danny in in the same exact method. Right, right, exactly. And I thought that was pretty interesting. No, I thought so too, because um, remember there's a point when he's about to kill Abra with an axe. She's in the ho- she's in the hotel now and he's kind of chasing her. Um, Danny is, because now he's been turned um, by, the, by the hotel. And she says to him as he's about to kill her, she says, you, um, you don't know where you're standing. And it's like, and Danny's character says what? But it's got like this weird, uh, like other sound, like a otherworldly voice to it. Kind of like there's a right. multiple voices kind of in one, which is always eerie. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's implied. I think she's not just implied. I think she specifically alludes to not alludes. It's also the same thing as implied. She basically says um, the hotel is possessing his body to use him to hurt her. So the yeah. hotel uses, to your point, the t- hotel uses whomever it needs to to get whatever it wants. And so it'll manipulate people that way. So, yeah, to your point, it's using uh, Jack Lawrence to get to his son, Danny. And what's interesting about what you said kind of plays into the whole uh, Genesis uh, biblical thing where, you know, eating of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right, is what is what turns Adam and Eve, gives them original sin. And in a way, so it's when they're provided, when they're when they're offered this fruit by the devil, mm-hmm. uh, that and they and they take it and then they eat it, uh, that they're that thing, that it all changes, right? Then they're then then they lose who they were in some sense. They lose they lose something. In this case, it's a drink for Jack yep. for Jack Torrance's character. It's essentially it's, it serves the same purpose. 
Right, it serves the same purpose. You take this, and you're choosing this over what you had, whatever that is. But you, 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 uh, you, of your own volition. No one's forcing this into your mouth. You have a choice, and he hands him that glass. Mm-hmm. And the difference, of course, being and what's so interesting, really, actually, quite beautiful. And I don't even know what, what quote this comes from. I didn't look this up. But but Danny's character, he takes the glass and he looks at it, and he says. This is all just from memory, so I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but he says, um, I take a drink, the drink takes a drink, and the drink takes me. Takes the man. Yeah. All right, right. The man takes a drink, the drink takes a drink, and the drink takes the man. So That, um, that quote specifically stuck with me, too, when I heard that. I, I was wow. like, man, that's deep. I was moved. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was heavy. So, um, yeah, it, it, takes, it takes him, takes him over. And in that sense, what was the drink really? It's not. It's not really alcohol. What are you drinking? In a way, you're taking, you're ingesting the hotel. You're allowing it in. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're allowing it to possess you in some sense. Loses it all. Oh yeah, that's why um, I, was, I was mentioning before. That was the exact moment that Jack just completely stopped being Jack in the original yeah. The Shining, and that's when he just he's completely engulfed by the the evil spirits by that point and then he just goes on that that murderous rampage and it, it's really odd too because i almost feel like it's fueled by real feelings because he was just so irritated with mm-hmm. wendy <laughs> throughout that movie she just kept un un uh knowingly pushing his buttons throughout that movie and so his rage meter just kept rising every time she popped up and said anything basically he's just like fucking get the get the hell out of my face lady Honey, you're just pissing me off sweetie light of my life give me the bat <laughs> light of my life <laughs> in such a in such a fucking hateful way <laughs> oh dude you can you can just and that, i think that's why stephen king thought that jack was just such a piece of shit in this in this movie he was he was portrayed as one because even from the very get-go when he agrees to to be the caretaker for the overlook mm. go out of your fucking way up into the mountainous outskirts you know of mm. the rocky mountains mm-hmm. um it's like not even near like any any major town in colorado from my understanding and mm-hmm. He doesn't even discuss this with his family. He just basically drops on their lap and says, like, hey, this is what we have to do. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to eat. So, you know, let's go. It, it, I think it, it would even be nice to to see what his wife thought of it first before just straight up accepting it. But he just took it upon his family to just say, yes, we're going to do this. Um, I won't let you down. So that was already strike number one in a lot of people's eyes. And then from that point on, he just continues to just be an asshole to both to, I think mainly to Wendy, but you also get a sense that he was like that with Danny because of the whole instance mm. with the arm. He got well, mad at him at some point. He yanked him right, right by the arm right. and like dislocated his shoulder. It's hard to say, you know, w- w- what's the right interpretation. It's, it's a personal view. And it's like, once it's left the artist's hands, like Stephen King's hands, who's to say, to say who's right you know what i mean like uh if nothing else looking at this particular person from another person's experience of what an alcoholic can be like not all alcoholics mm-hmm. i'm just saying what one can be like I, I get the sense that you know maybe kubrick's isn't necessarily wrong maybe stephen king didn't agree with him 
um, and didn't maybe didn't like it, but that doesn't definitively mean that it was wrong because it's it made such an impact and obviously had such a following has had such a following. Um, right, and it's you know it wasn't he wasn't going to do just a one to one of the novel. You know, this is his interpretation. This is his way of adapting the story. Mm-hmm. So, like in what you're what you're saying, who's to say? that Stephen King was, was right. And then Stanley Kubrick was wrong because this was Stanley's vision for the story. Having read the source material, this is the story he wanted to tell. Right. And it's like, it's, it's, it's so human. I mean, again, having not read the story, it's hard for me to, and having not read the book, hard for me to say one way or the other, but all I can say is having seen the movie, um, he's, he, he hates himself. You know, Jack hates himself and he takes it out on his family and he resents his son. A little fucker, you know, I just need just a few more ounces of, you know, pounds, a few pounds of pressure extra. You know, if you probably if I'd just been a little less than his, he wouldn't have dislocated his arm and then I wouldn't be in this his little whippy shoulder wouldn't have popped out like some bitch, (laughs) some bitch. But like he's complaining (laughs) about something that is completely it's like. He was totally in the wrong and he's justifying it and he just doesn't want to accept the wrong that he did and doesn't realize that in accepting exactly it, that that's his redemption. He he could just accept that he was at fault in this, but in he fact, didn't he even it. seem seem beat up by it. he he wasn't like embarrassed or sad or anything. His his reaction was he was like, Well, you know, accidents happen sometimes. Like that was Basically, you know, that's kinda fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Accidents happen. Accidents happen. Hey, whatever. I just had having a bad day. I had a little bit too much to drink. I just wasn't quite entirely in control. But it's like, no, you you just straight up weren't in control. Yeah. Like you. You're and of course, person. he happened to have been drinking. But you know, this isn't in any relation to alcohol. I don't have a problem. I'm not an alcoholic. You know, it's. Right. I, I feel like it, it just that that just compounds on top of, uh, of itself. You know, that issue that he had and. It was really interesting that that was, you know, that was the vice that the Overlook used to lure right. him in. Oh, yeah. Like it read his mind. And then that was actually something that got passed down to Danny as he got older. He ended right. up becoming an alcoholic himself. Substance abuser. Right, right. Exactly. It's what, yeah. he, it's what he learned, what he was maybe comfortable with. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, as a kid, I mean, of course, he hated that part about his dad. But, I mean, I think a kid can hate his dad's actions. I think it's very, very difficult for a kid to just straight up hate the person because um, it's hard to hate Jack Nicholson's character in that movie. Yeah, he may seem like he doesn't have any redemptive qualities. Yeah, he may seem like he's overbearing and temperamental and all these things. But when you look at uh, him in the situation that he's in and he's just always, he's just trying to, literally, he's legitimately trying to escape himself and he can't Mm -hmm. seem to escape himself and he can't seem to escape his... It, the 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 he, be, he he beats himself up literally he's he's complaining to a perfect stranger about this thing that happened yeah. in the past why doesn't he let that thing go yet it still bothers him to this day to the point where he can just tell a perfect stranger hey this is what's cooking in my mind right now this is what's boiling my 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 skin right now this is what's getting under my skin is this shit that happened before and you know now she you know at me, least he's I'm he's willing to talk about it Right. But so his wife is like he it's like he blames her, too. And because she's so demure, because she's so uh, um, enabling for him, like she's a sweetheart. She really tries. But in, in <laughs> some sense, she she's not just like we're leaving. Like She's she's never once like we're out of here. Like we're not dealing with your bullshit. No, we're not going up to this fucking cabin in the middle of fucking nowhere. No, 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 we're not going. No, she, she yeah. wants to give him every opportunity. And he resents her for it. Like he, he he hates how nice she is to him almost because he doesn't 
it seems like he doesn't think he deserves it. I'm going so much onto this, the whole the shining thing, but it's it's a, such an interesting juxtaposition with the redemption that Danny sees in the movie Doctor Sleep. He 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 runs from himself so much. Um, he and, and it's like it's so sad because I mean, you look at the you look at a person's life, and he's had this gift for so long, and mm-hmm. you know the fact that he's middle aged and hasn't done much with his life you know he we see him he's like he sleeps with this woman who's a drug addict he beats the shit out of this guy not so different not so different the, the, the is not so different from his dad precisely <laughs> maybe he's not hurting harming a child which we see he he at least doesn't harm that that woman's child when they when he's he's trying to sneak out of the apartment after you know spending the night with her or whatever it, it's interesting how how often this happens where you you have these these kids that just resent their parents so much. I feel like they will they will resent one or, or both of their parents, and then they end up. Oh, they even they even tell themselves, "I'm I'm never going to be that. I'm going to be better than them, whatever." And then they end up growing up to be that themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a, it's really really hard. It, really, honestly, because unless you get out of that environment. And have new experiences, meet new people, and, and unless you're willing to be open to receiving those new experiences, those new ideas, which by the way, Danny does does happen. It does happen to Danny eventually, um, even though he's closed off at the beginning of the movie. You know, it's a new start. He goes to a new town, meets some new people. Um, they give him a chance. They they go out on a limb for him, and he has not yet yeah. opened himself up to them. All he's said is he's from another town, and this guy who's, who's like a groundskeeper happens to see him and, and, and kind of takes him under his wing, sees sees himself in Danny, sees he's a he's a substance abuser and is just looking for a, a fresh start, a new beginning, another chance. You know, and and you know, pays two months rent for him. For a perfect stranger, pays two months rent. It's like eighty five eighty five dollars a week, I remember she writes on the chalkboard. Eight, yeah, it was like eighty five a month, right? Or something mm-hmm. like that. No, I think it was eighty five a week. Man. Oh, a week? Okay. Yeah, eighty-five a week, week. Yeah, a week. And, and and so he forks over that cash for 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 this guy. In in a way, it's like he's helping his past self out. You know, this this groundskeeper guy who's a really uh, nice guy. But he's like, I yeah, wouldn't want to tell me. I, I get it that sense too. Um, because maybe because no one helped him. You know, he was in that position when he was younger, and no one wanted to help him. So he he wants to be able to to be that for Danny because mm-hmm. he sees that Danny's a mess. He's a hot mess. Hot mess. Coming off just, the bus. He's like, what do you come, where, you know, what, what brought you here? And he's just like, he basically has no answer for him. It wasn't just like, yeah, I have a job. And he's coming off a bus. You're a good point. He's not driving up in his own car. He's like, I, I don't know. And no, I don't know. What was, what one, one of the, one of the first questions he asked him. So uh, you ran away from something. And that's when uh, Daniel's like, yeah, I guess I, I'm kind of ran away from myself. And then he's like, well, funny thing about running away from yourself is that no matter how far away you run, you <laughs> you're always there, you know, like you can't, you can't get rid of yourself. You have to take you with you. Right. Right. And that's the, and that's, that hits him. You can tell that, that, that hits him. Um, I don't think there's anybody else taking the time to just speak those kind of truths to, to Danny and maybe, or if they did, maybe he wasn't ready to hear them, but he's, he's real spit, real spit dog. Yeah. He's broken. He's broken. He's, he, you know, he sees that little boy and at least at least in his life, he may have had a, a violent alcoholic for a father, but mm. he at least had a mother who cared for him in a way that the, 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 the mother that he slept with didn't care for her son. And he sees that little boy and this there for him 
even he beat the shit out of somebody else with a cue ball the night before. He can, can I can I say something about uh, Wendy for a second? Wendy Torrance. Oh yeah, please. I go thought ahead. in the in the original Shining, she was fucking annoying. Played by Shelley Duvall in the original, and yeah, yeah, she, she, you know, she wasn't much better in this one, but I felt like uh, this actress Alex uh, So, I felt like she was a lot less annoying, but still, even just the part when Danny has been chilling outside, talking spirit, I guess spiritually or using The Shining to talk to Dick Calloran, yeah, um, yeah. on that that park bench, and then so he has this full on conversation with him in his mind. And then Wendy's just coming up like, Danny, where are you? I've been looking for you. Like she's she just never knows where the fuck Danny is ever. No. <laughs> and that just annoys the shit out of me. Especially mm. with like all the shit that they've been through. You figure she would be watching him like a hawk. Dude, she never knows where the fuck he is. Mm-hmm. First of all, this girl that girl was gorgeous. I was like, wow, you're no Shelly Duvall. You're really she, I thought she was really attractive, but I don't know. Mm. I, she's, those are my types, I guess. One thing that I, I wanted to point out, she doesn't know where he's at first and she comes panicking and you notice also in the in the distance as, she, as they're walking away uh in the background in the foreground you see it shows the poster for the cute little girl that was killed at the beginning of the movie oh, it's a missing person's poster and it says yeah. and it says um what was her name violet i can't remember her last name but it says violet something yeah violet but something, yeah 1980 at the very beginning mm-hmm. right so so knowing what i know about that time period stranger danger hadn't even become a term yet um, no, yeah, John and that's, that's why you you can you can see a lot of people complaining about the opening scene where the little girl just she kind of steps out of the Winnebago and she's like she's like all right peace out I'm gonna go look for some flowers and mom's like all right cool be safe walk peace out I want to say maybe like more than fifty yards away from the Winnebago to look for some flowers and like no one bats an eye because like you said back then it was a more innocent time I I even think back on my childhood. After school, I would have told my parents, hey, I'm going to go to my friend's house. They're like, all right, cool. They didn't even, like some parents, they didn't tell me you need to be back before the streetlights come on. My parents are just like, cool, you know, have fun, and then be back for dinner. Right. (laughs) And I didn't even have to be back to have dinner with them. It was just like, A, make sure that when you get hungry, you come back because we're going to have food for you. So they just trusted me, you know, and it was was a more innocent time. And I never... I, we not once did I ever think like walking from my friend's house back home to my parents' house. Oh man, it's it's kind of dangerous. Like I I don't. This is kind of a shady part of town. I don't want to be here. No, it was you know it was just like a, a suburban area, and I had lived there pretty much my whole life. And I you know I knew it like the back of my hand. I knew the the kids around there, like the families around there, and it was you know it wasn't a big deal. Like mm-hmm. we we saw the people around our block walking around all the time, and we didn't we weren't thinking like oh where are those fucking hooligans up to you know they're probably stealing shit or whatever. Like no, we were we we're just like walking around mind our, mind our own business, and my parents felt like they didn't have to worry about me. What's interesting is it was interesting, that, that was an interesting time growing up. We didn't we didn't grow up to spaced out uh, you know i mean far from each other in terms of our age so yeah it was, it was pretty much the same era uh, obviously i'm a little older so it was it was again still more innocent but um and not, not like there weren't dangerous elements out there by then of course da- stranger danger was a thing you know don't talk to strangers blah 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 mm-hmm. don't get into their cars or anything like that um we were outside more though and we were allowed to kind of explore 
at in 1980, I don't even think um, so you see John Walsh was the reason for the whole. It was even less thought of, right? Right, exactly. Imagine if it were, we grew up in the 90s, then in the 80s, it was even less of a thing. You just got out, played with your friends, got your knees dirty, came back home, washed up. That was it. Like it, we got to explore. I what did, I don't even know what childhood must be like now. Uh, go, grow, kids growing <laughs> up and stuff. Um, you know, now right. parents want to, you know, and reasonably so, they'll want to meet the parents of the other kids um, yeah. and, and kind of get to know who they are. Kids have cell phones. They need to keep tabs. Ridiculous. Like every hour, right? What? Call me if anything happens. Well, I just think it's, cr- I mean, not, I say ridiculous, but it's necessary. It's it's kind of a weird situation that, that you know, I say, it's, <laughs> I really only said ridiculous because, I mean, kids have cool phones when I didn't have a phone when I was a kid. So maybe I'm just a little bit... Uh, jealous did, but <laughs> did you ever have a phone while you're in grade school no, I, I feel like i didn't get one until about high school bro, freshman year maybe i didn't get a cell phone until i was a senior in high school and was like going out to mm-hmm. like hanging out like late with friends and then it was gotcha. like hey it was really just meant for emergency purposes and to let my dad know like hey uh we're gonna be we're gonna be out later than 12 you know because that was our curfew was to be home by midnight and sure <laughs> if we were getting if we were cutting it close we're just you know out with some friends or whatever, then it was like, just, just call ahead of time. Let it, let me know where you are. That was, it. you know, even with senior. that, like once I got older, um, around like senior, senior year time, I, I feel like my parents even adjusted their, their freedom, uh, regarding me. So I, I feel like I didn't even have that midnight curfew it, and it, I, I could actually tell them, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go with some friends to a little, uh, <laughs> kickback in someone's backyard. Right, kickbacks. <laughs> And uh, shout out to the kickbacks. Yeah, shout out to and, the And they basically just told me, like, uh, because I, I wasn't driving at the time. So they were, they're just like, you know, like, uh, if you're going to drink, you know, just just uh, be responsible and uh, don't do drugs. So mm. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much the extent of it. So it's hard. I mean, I'm really glad that they placed it one more time that in the shot as they're walking away in the background and she's kind of scolding him. Don't do that. You scared me. Then on the po- on that on that bulletin board is that poster of the missing person of a little that little violet that little girl. But putting the date there is so so important because these days people will just be like you know oh, yeah. cancel culture like you know I'm gonna cancel this shit because these people are saying you know kids are gonna be out late this is bullshit they would never do that never oh really. yeah they would what do you know they you would have talked shit so much yeah everyone talks a lot yeah. of shit now they, they really needed to hit that home that it was 1980 even had. I think it, it even specifically showed the year too at the beginning of the scene it that did. it was like, "Hey, just letting you know, this is 1980." Right, 1980. Um, but let me just say how you're saying "Stranger Danger." Um, Rose the Hat. Oh, ooh, I mean, that's a stranger. I want to know. That's I, that's what I'm saying. Is like she looked so trusting and and innocent and and welcoming, right? Well, she's sweet and she's just she's just kind of sitting and, and she was she let the little girl come to her oh. she she knew that this is where the little girl was going to be or what was was um drawn her to the area so she was like i'm just going to place myself here and let the girl come to me and i'm just gonna i'm gonna win her over just by me minding my own business well, you know it wasn't it wasn't the her intruding on the little girl's privacy it was the little girl popping up on her seemingly minding her own business and right. i think that's where the script kind of gets flipped 
and that's where she she yeah. uh she lures that little girl in because she's just like oh hey you know like I, i'm just in here you know doing my own thing watching the the lake and you came flowers. up so uh, i guess i might as well say hi i don't want to be rude right, right, right. <laughs> well and the other thing too is is it's, it's really really beautifully manipulative because she's singing i noted this she's singing um wild irish rose <laughs> which is yeah. interesting so she's singing a little a little tune which is also kind of like a siren luring people oh. luring the sailors to their death and there is water there so there's kind of that symbolism there too so she's she lures the little girl with a song and she's a beautiful woman and she's got mm-hmm. flowers in her hand which seem you know Hari krishna's innocent hand yeah. out flowers to people and that seems it's welcoming and upright it's it's welcoming it's it's a, a beautiful vibrant live thing and you know they're, they're they're beautiful so she's got these flowers in her hands and she's singing a song and she's knelt down and she looks mm-hmm. over her shoulder and there's this little girl and this girl does approach her so it's really again it's a manipulative thing it, it goes to that book called the what is that the power something about influence robert cialdini or Kialdini or Cialdini, something like that um I brought up the Hare Krishnas because he, he actually has a little thing on them too. But but the point being, once somebody's committed to something, even a child, so she commits to walking forward, it's hard for her to convince herself like, oh, I liked this person enough to come over here and have a little conversation. And the woman seems really, really nice. So yeah. there were opportunities for her to walk away. But but deep down, deep in her cycle, in, in our psychology, when you commit to something, you almost make every excuse not to change your mind because you're like, well, I already did this thing and I like this thing. Am I lying to myself that I liked this thing? So anyway, it, mm-hmm. but I'm going really deep into that. And who knows if a child mm-hmm. thinks that abstractly, uh, I feel maybe that maybe the, that might be the case, but either way she walks well, forward. They, they might, but they may not reckon, they might may be not aware, identify that. Be self-aware. Yeah. Right. Right. At that point. So she does walk up, she <laughs> sings a song. She does a little magic trick to her for, for her to kind of get her to, to entertain her, right? right? To entertain now yeah. we're friends. When we're over, we're when buddies. Over. Not unlike the clown, in it when he provide. When he I was just gonna say, dude, the way that she was talking and interacting with this little girl is the exact same way that Pennywise interacts and lures little kids in himself. Yep. Yep. It, but but Pennywise is way more fucking creepy looking mm-hmm. out the get go, mm-hmm. whereas Rose is, you know, she she looks innocent and she looks like someone that wouldn't harm a fly you know You're like what, what's this pretty lady again does she just sit here like minding her own business how like she's not gonna do shit right how threatening yeah. could she be she's a, she's a pretty woman why would she do anything to harm me and again sirens right the sirens the odyssey version of those sirens is that mm-hmm. he straight up tells them uh odysseus uh he's, he's you know the captain of the ship and tells all these men hey look <laughs> hey they're on this rock in the i don't even say i wouldn't say the middle of the ocean I th- there might be land nearby um I I, I I haven't read the story it's been a long time or i did read it but it's been a long time but they're on this rock yeah. this like craggy looking fucking rock and they're just these beautiful women and he tells them do not listen to them plug your ears like he takes out cotton i think or some other material um maybe like his cloak and shoves it in his ears and then holds his hands over his ears to protect himself and some men don't do it they don't take it seriously and they and they come out of the boat when they hear the song when they hear these women singing they straight up just dive off out of the boat to their deaths because this water is like culture. There's no way they're ever going to make it to those rocks anyway. So it's just these, <laughs> these sirens are these, they're not even really women. I guess they're kind of some sort of like demigods that, that just do this. They just kill sailors by mm. singing to them and drawing them out to the water. There's no yeah. way to deny it. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, fuck, wow. I'm making connections here. Kind of like, uh, Andy, the rat, the, the rattlesnake, right? 
how she can push people. Andy oh, can put things, uh, we're friends. Do you want to come into the snake band? bite Andy? Snake bite Andy. There we go. Snake bite yeah, Andy. Yeah, the she, pusher. She's like mm-hmm. a siren, you know, in some sense, because she, you know, she yeah. tells people to sleep or tells them to sh- kill yourself. She she lures them in with her her unthreatening demeanor her youth, and and appearance. Mm-hmm. She's you, you, she's young and she's beautiful, and uh, so it's unassuming. And then she, you know, then once they're close enough, then she can set the snare, set the trap. That then, and that's dangerous. And that you can you can definitely see why that that cult, the the true knot, wanted to recruit her because they're like that is a tool that we can definitely use to our advantage. Right, right, exactly. We haven't had a pusher in quite some time. Uh, Rosie mm-hmm. the hat, a rose the hat does almost like a hypnotist. Like they, when they I did find it strange that some people were immune to that. Like Rose, it, it didn't work on her because it worked on that, on Crow Daddy guy, right? So he, he was walking out of the, that theater and he was, he was approaching her and she was just like, you, you don't want to talk to me. You want to go back inside. Oh, right. So he, he just like stops in his tracks. Yeah. And then so Rose like grabs her by the arm and is just like, oh, hey, you know, like, how's it going? And she was just like, you, you want to let me go? And she's like, no, I don't. Yeah. And I, I thought that was interesting because why would, why would it work on some people with the, the Shining but not others? Well, so, so that's one of the things that I was, I was curious about getting into as well. Rose, her power. Why is she the leader of this group? You know, they have the mm-hmm. uh, Fleck. Well, he dies. The old man um, searching him. Oh, notes Grandpa here. Flick. Grandpa Flick. Flick. Okay. Grandpa Flick dies. And she's... Oh, shout out to uh, him because he, he plays the giant in Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. He's brilliant. <laughs> he kills it. The shit. The, ugh, Twin Peaks forever. Um, um, but, but so uh, Grandpa Flick dies. And she says that he's dying. She's consoling him, reminding him of the things that he's seen in his lifetime, how he's seen empires rise and fall, and how he's lived, how he's he's killed or lived off of the the steam, uh, they call it, the uh, shine. Oh, yeah. The soul of these people, of, of emperors and of princes and popes, she says. So it's like right. he has been around a long time. And so I don't know if she's been around with him as long. They don't ever really get into that. Like, did she see those mm. things with him? Or did he just tell her these things? Or did somebody else tell her these things when she was recruited herself? She doesn't get into it. But ju- I, I, I guess just because he's been around longer does not necessarily mean that he's as powerful as she is. So she must be, she just must be very, very powerful, more powerful than the rest. Kind of like Abra is. Oh, you, you really get a sense of it, though. Like, in, she she can straight up, she's like astral projecting Whereas, like, I don't think anyone else can. I, I almost feel like everyone kind of has some sort of a, a shine to them, but they excel in certain things. So with Danny, he has the ability, he's taught by, by Dick uh, Halloran mm-hmm. to be able to essentially lock up evil spirits or any any spirit, actually, in his mental prison. Right. You know, and he, he tells him, like, take a look at this box, get to know this box, because you're going to create one in your mind and you're gonna you're gonna use it as a fucking prison and so he and he really uses it like you you see him when he encounters that the that bathtub lady yeah. who who just keeps fucking like following him everywhere he goes and i often grin. wonder i i do wonder why it's always her that's the one that's like tormenting him the most 
And I wonder if that's because if you notice Danny in The Shining, he's riding around the, the hotel in his big wheel, yeah. roaming the halls, the empty halls, just by himself, trying mm-hmm. to entertain himself. And then he stops at that room, which is, I, be, I believe, 237. Mm-hmm. And the door, it so there's always something inside that's calling to him. And I think it's he doesn't actually go in until the next time he's like riding through the halls and he sees that the door is open this time. And so he's like, what the hell? And so he goes inside, and that's where the the bathtub lady is. So I think he saw some shit, or she did some shit to him that, like, really fucked him up. Because ever since then, he... I felt like that's when the spirits really started to to come out and start antagonizing Danny, and he he really just closed up. I forget how he gets rescued from that room. I forget. Well, I think he just... I believe he just kind of eventually is released and then they find him and he's just like in shock and he's not responding right. much. And, you know, he's just kind of, yeah, exactly. Almost catatonic. Thumbing, thumbing and so that, and then eventually, and eventually you see what's in there when Jack Torrance later goes in and he's also enticed. He's lured in by that bathtub lady who in a lot of ways she's kind of like mill sandry in game of thrones oh, where of right. she it's appears not. to be beautiful you know on the outside and then once you really see what she is you're like holy fuck she's like this this goblin of sorts goblin, <laughs> like 200 year old troll right 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 200 year old troll Ugh, or you're just like this oh god just the thought Ugh. Anyway, yeah, the woman in the bath—that's awful. I don't even remember what her story was, how she died, but or what led up to her death. And, and I'm assuming the bathtub, of course. But uh, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy, crazy. I've always loved that. Uh, of course, you know she's one of the most polarizing characters from the original Shining, and so it makes sense that they would they would bring her back. I I, I just kind of I'm curious as to why she was the one that out of all the other spirits, she's the one that like really torments him. And I, I wonder if it's because she was the one that got the closest to Danny, like really like lured him in and trapped him in that the room t- 237. Right, right. And also because the visual of it is just so awesome because you always have that semi-transparent curtain and right. you can't quite make out if there's someone behind it until they start moving and you just see her fingers yep. like grip around the edges of yep. the the curtain to like reel it back and you're like fuck it's just so creepy i love it no it's good it's really really good awesome effect i think you're alone i mean why would there be anybody in this hotel see that's that's you're right that, that that's a very jarring moment so it's a the pivotal scene for sure uh, and and he mm-hmm. has such an, it has such an effect on on Dan, young Danny that yeah he goes almost catatonic and you know after his arm was dislocated he became catatonic wouldn't talk to anybody and and so mm-hmm. they kind of get scared you know the mom uh, Shelley Duvall's character gets really really scared again that he's reverted back to this and then she thinks that it's something that Jack did do you remember and I think that's why he gets pissed again if I'm not if I'm not mixing that up I, I actually believe it's after Danny go becomes catatonic again after seeing that woman in the bath that Shelley Duvall's character automatically assumes because there's no other reason to assume other women. Oh, I mean there's Jack. nobody else right. Yeah. She thinks Jack did it. And that fucking did some shit him to him off again because he thinks mm-hmm. I thought I already shed this. I thought I already did my penance for this this mistake that I made. And you're gonna keep on fucking punishing me for this. Like he just yeah. gets so he gets so angry. Rather than just like 
trying to be reasonable with her. She she's she's amped up. There's no reason to talk. I mean, talking trying to talk sense to a person whose whose emotions are running really really high is honestly like trying to reason yeah. with a, a drunk person. You might as well just wait till the wave subsides because you're not gonna speak reasonably to, and they're not gonna hear reason. So yeah. he gets pissed because she gets pissed. He totally just reacts and that's when he goes off to the bar and has this moment where he's just like fuck it all kind of like this is a few mm-hmm. extra rounds is a pressure whatever and, and that's when he took his medicine that's when he took his medicine but i yeah exactly like it was it was always in the back of his mind and that was just the final nail in the coffin for him right unfortunately that, that he would be blamed for something that he had nothing to do with and himself is curious as to what's going on with with the doc right they called him doc danny doc yeah which is weird i don't, I don't know why they ever called him doc I love that concept of the the mental prison because it was it, that's such a unique ability. It's it's not quite so uh, direct as like telekinesis or something, right? It, it, but it's just as powerful, if not more powerful. Mm-hmm. You can straight up just trap someone forever, however long you want to, until the day you die. And he even asks Dick at some point mm-hmm. later on when he's an adult. He's like, "Hey, uh, whatever happens to?" And it's it's more foreshadowing as to like what what's gonna happen later because I think they want to keep reminding you that he's accumulated. You even see it when it does a flash of like what his mind looks like and he has multiple boxes in a row. And so you're like, man, he's fucking done this to a lot of spirits. It's that's wild. And so he, he was asking Dick, so what happens to these spirits when I lock them away? And Dick's like, you care. I mean, do you really care? (laughs) You know? And he's just like, nah, you're right. I don't (laughs) fuck them. Right, 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 right. What happens? Well, it's a great way to sidestep that. It's a great way to, to, to kind of avoid this this question that could really derail the whole movie um with having to try to get into specifics in the spiritual realm you know yeah. then it's just it's just like you're opening up pandora's box there because it could never and then people would yeah. hate on it because ultimately what you can say for certain is that energy it, it it doesn't it just gets converted energy doesn't die and so in a way it's like that their energy continues to live on it has to be channeled into another place and they're already trapped here you know they're they're tied to to the physical realm and to the overlook and now they're they're trapped in this fucking void this this abyss you know this purgatory that right. danny created in in his mind with the shining well, yeah exactly that danny created but i would say even it's slightly different just using a slightly different verbiage because purgatory implies that there is redemption that 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 you will be purified mm. and that you will eventually go to a, a place like heaven they are not even okay. in purgatory they're in a what's called no. a limbo state. they're kind of in between places where there's no promise even to them to go into a better place and then the movie's not really yeah. about kind of their redemption in some sense it's like they made their choice and in a way it's kind of like um, there's no saving them right in a way it's as though they're trapped in in a hell in a hell of sorts because there's no escaping it they they are stuck uh mm-hmm. no matter what they do they, they can't undo these things and what i'm getting at is these people are still trapped in this moment where they killed or were killed so that woman in the bathtub she's always doing the thing she's always creeping <laughs> out and totally nude and and uh lloyd always has that cracked head with blood just streaming down his face and oh great, oh, great party true. you yeah. know with the glass kind of like kind of like yeah. uh, it's like an endless cycle because yeah. new people will show up and they still play out the same role forever right but it's like it's a hell on earth instead of hell in hell mm-hmm. uh it's this hell on earth and so what do you do 
well, you, you trap those sons of bitches is what you do. You learn how. And then, yeah. and well, what's interesting too is that I guess to reiterate my point, because I was about to say I don't understand this, but but I guess if we're talking about how energy is never destroyed, it's only it's only converted, redistributed, redistributed, right? Uh, I'm gonna say what the fuck? They destroyed the fucking Overlook Hotel. Why are these ghosts still around? But again, going right back to my point, energy is not destroyed. So the although the the place where the ghosts mm. were housed to begin with is gone, they make an imprint on you. And they did on, on yeah. Africa. She was there in their presence. And so she has to trap them again in her place, in her mind, oh, yeah. in her mind, in the little boxes, which is really, really cool. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a- Man, also that going back to to that lady from the bar and how you she like she essentially ODs, right? She, she, and he thinks that she's going to be all right. And then that baby it's revealed that she has a kid right. that he didn't know about. So he's not equipped to, to deal with the baby. So he just gives us some crackers and like places the baby on the bed next to the mom mm-hmm. and just hopes that they're all right. He, you know, he bounces, he doesn't care. He doesn't think anything of it after that. And then he gets haunted by those spirits later. Right. They follow him because he talks about how, when he senses people, that's essentially where the, the book and the the movie get the title Dr. Sleep is he becomes uh, the orderly, right? Right. Uh, at the hospice mm-hmm. facility. And so he deals with people basically on their way out. So he, he envisions these people with black flies on them. He, he even explains how he saw it on his mom before she passed. And so he sees the black flies around the room when he wakes up in the arms, like draped over him with flies on it. He's like, Oh shit. You know, like, I already know what this is. She had a fly, a fly crawling on her eye. Oh, that was great. On her eyeball, her like dead eyes. It pans down and the baby's tucked uh, into her stomach and like turns over and yeah. looks at him and is just like, mama. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. So, Fucking creepy, so right? Freaking, so yeah, just, oh dude. So, so nasty. It was rough. That was really, really rough. It's so sad too, because she's just like, they still haven't found us. Right. So that, that, that lets you know right there what their fate was. And that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, they're used to hearing him cry, but they're not hearing him cry mm-hmm. anymore. And they still haven't come to check on him. They just, they, they haven't thought of anything mm-hmm. about that. Yet. Well, she, I think she was saying that they they got so used to they they were desensitized to the baby's crying because she was just never there. That the fact that he was crying nonstop didn't bother them because that was just normal. Oh, that, oh, that's always what they heard. Got you. So they didn't think to come save him because they thought no. Oh, oh shit. They weren't thinking like, is this baby being tortured or what? Right. Like, what's going on over there? Oh, they just man. figure she just ignores the baby until it goes to sleep. Apparently, right, right. And then when they don't hear from it anymore, they think, oh, it's just gone to sleep. But oof, yeah. man, yeah, that's sad. That is really sad. Um, that is tragic, and, and that breaks my heart seeing the child. And I think it's meant to break his heart for sure because he so much happened to him when he was such a you know so young. It, it it definitely hits him harder because he by that point he's already started turning his life yeah, around he wasn't yeah. this he wasn't still that same piece of shit at that time so he was he was already like working and he's sober and he, he you know he's he's doing his own thing now up in new hampshire and then those old spirits you know his his demons yeah, that demons. that uh, he's dealt with in the past those came came back mm-hmm. to to remind him of where he came from right that's kind of the the weird thing is he kind of comfortable dealing with with the dead spirits because uh, he's been around it pretty much his whole life. You know, he's had the shining as far back as he can remember with Tony and everything. 
And that's why he's able to work at the hospice area. I don't know if you noticed, but that when he gets that job, that's the same office that Jack accepted the, the job oh, to, wow. to be the caretaker for the Overlook. Wow. That was the exact same layout and everything. Oh, I thought that was a cool throwback. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I didn't notice that. No, that's cool. Wow. So, yeah, he ends up getting that, that hospice job. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was actually kind of cool because the he is essentially is kind of the mediator between the patients and the cat because the cat is almost like death and and chooses who who's the next to go and so everyone knows the cat and they know that danny has some sort of connection with with the spiritual realm of of sorts and so i think that's where he gets that moniker dr sleep even though he's not really a doctor but i think they just know that once he shows up he he helps them not panic ease into that sleep and then quietly go you know without any pain right right like he's a sort of a, a doctor of of the soul not so much of medicine but but mm-hmm. can knows has a knowledge of, of kind of soothe that wound of the basically the fear of death and and yeah. um what more i don't know that's that's a that's a that's a calling right there for sure dealing with death constantly like that but honestly he was already always dealing with death as it was so at least now he gets to be on this end of it where he's helping them to have a peaceful end and not be exactly fraught with just it's not like he's being thrown after some sort of br- brutal murder, you know, some gruesome death. Right, right. And he's he's dealing with the the aftermath of that. He's actually helping these people in a way, and they're 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 grateful for right. it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're not dying alone, so to speak. In fact, I mean, that's the, that's one of the biggest fears I think if people speak about is is you know we all in the end we all die alone. <laughs> we all die alone, yeah. but but that he up until the end. They have a friend. They have somebody there who reminds them of, oh, I can hear that. He's like, I can hear the radio with, you know, this Frank Sinatra playing in the background and they sing that song together mm. until that man passes away. But he's talking about mm. his old, you know, being in that in the garage with his old workbench. And and he, he paints the whole picture for that man. He really finds that calling. It's like when he stops running away from the thing that he's really good at, which is shining and, and speaking mm-hmm. with the dead, like he when he turns around and faces who he is. Um, when he embraces that, he's able to really find his life's purpose at the very least, which is eventually it's to save Abra, but but at least for, yeah. the, for a long while, it's at least for eight years or so, right? He's he's helping people to, to move on and he's really building confidence in himself and building that in your life. I did think it was interesting that Dick said to Danny in the past, no one shines like you. And yet in this movie, we come across Abra who it's implied that she's way more powerful than anyone that has ever been in the, the universe before, you know, like much more powerful than Danny in many ways, more powerful than Rose, the hat who I, I feel like she's powerful in the sense that she, she's embraced it and she's practiced it. So that way she's really, really skillful, skillful with the shining Danny suppressed his. So that's why I think he's still kind of rusty in a lot of ways because he, he didn't want to practice it. He didn't embrace it. And then Abra is learning to embrace it at a very early age. I think she started off, you know, shows that, that birthday party and with the spoons, like she's levitating all the spoons in the kitchen and kind of freaks the parents out. But I think over time, they learn to accept her 
for her for her abilities. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they also they want to keep under wraps because they don't want any any attention being drawn to her. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's interesting because you know, Danny. It, it, it's it's yeah. It's hard to say whether or not. Abra was more is more powerful. I mean, she is more powerful when the two of them meet each other. But when Rose is fighting him, she's like, "Where have you been?" You know what I mean? She's like, "Wow!" Like at first, she's like, "Where have you been?" And the next thing you know, when he does the whole, when he puts her in his world in the labyrinth, uh, in the maze, the, the <laughs> then she's really blown away the fact that it was him that was doing that the whole time. And then when she start when she you know when she gets him good in the in the thigh in his femoral artery and she's like basically mm-hmm. bleeding not stuff shoves her thumb in there to, to get to, to drink his steam to breathe in his steam she's like oh my god you're still so good like it's still so powerful so it's like he's he's powerful and, and just before she starts doing that to him she had said before the, the whole engagement happens before they start battling it out she she had said that as we get older it muddies it, it kind of gets weak over time true and yeah it's, pure. it's not as pure right. it's pure when they're young um but it's hard to say whether he would have been whether she Abra is always more powerful than him because I would say his was muddied from the very beginning since he didn't have parents that were as understanding as Abra's parents are didn't didn't encourage mm. him to to build that skill and let, and didn't accept him for who he deep down was um, they couldn't they couldn't understand that's the biggest thing and even though Abra's family or parents couldn't necessarily understand it was that they were willing to accept and. Um, Instead, his parents put like some sort of filter on it and just said like, just don't do that, don't do that. And so he always had he was basically himself with shackles on himself. Mm. Couldn't ever really be himself because others told him how to be. And when he finally allows himself to be who he deep down really, really is, and he's vulnerable. And the only way to get to be who you really are is to be vulnerable with yourself and with other people. And case in point. When he joins uh, AA, I mean, that's a big. These are all big steps. He accepts he accepts the kindness of that man, the, 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 this who becomes his best friend. He says in getting that place to stay. But then he joins AA with him, and that guy becomes his sponsor in return for their vulnerability and their willingness to accept him for who he is, and he loves that. He's never had that before. Where um, his mom loved him. I'm not saying that, but you know, I don't remember how young he was when she died, but. Um, he never had this to foster in him, so he always saw himself as bad, deep down bad. So it, he didn't realize that it was other people's problem, not him. And when when they finally show him kindness and they show him that he can be, they're vulnerable with him. He becomes vulnerable back to the point where he's willing to weird out this guy, this gentleman who runs the class um, or runs the session, and tells him, "This is, you know, you looked for your watch. Your watch is actually on this soap soap dish in this." A hotel room or whatever or not hotel room but the, the hospital at the hospital right, and yeah. he's like blown away by that but but it's only when he's vulnerable only when he's willing to be who he truly is that he's able to um he's really powerful he's powerful but finds peace and it's kind of th- th- that's how he finds his life's purpose it's only when he opens himself up is vulnerable and uses it in a, in a way to to help others and uses it right exactly this gift he wants he's meant to give to other people um and share with them but but he he has to heal these old wounds, and it's only when he's able to to be vulnerable and face those things that he can move through them. All this time, he's been using the drink to medicate himself and to try to push away those 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 things that he needed to deal with. And when mm-hmm. he keep it under wraps, right, and when he finally when he finds a new way to 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 encounter himself and to embrace who he is and accept himself, that he 
is able to to give this gift and be so much more than he already than he was because before he was just recluse he was just beating people up with cue balls and drinking his life away and uh, you know whatever sleeping with random and at the women. same time he he wasn't using his shining to help him with the those fights he was he was just doing it the good old fashioned way you well, know and right. if sometimes if that man getting his ass kicked then so be it and maybe honestly maybe he was um when they're drugged remember they're not able to shine you know, so she gets do- double dosed mm. with, you know, oh, yeah, he, the guy tells her uh, the, the what's that, that? tranquilizer yeah, the trank. He tranks her and he says, oh, I had to give you more dose than I normally do for other people. But so she's she can't use her steam, as he says, or she can't shine uh, to get out of the situation. So I would say he tranked her right in the neck. He's just like, oh, yes, oh, sh- yes, <laughs> you're, you're crazy, man. You're, you're crazy. <laughs> Um, I like you, but you're crazy. Like you, but you're crazy. Shout out to Will Ferrell. Old school, old school, <laughs> and homie uh, Stifler. God, why can't I remember his name right now? Sean William Scott. There we go. Sean. Um, what did you think of uh, Kylie Curran as Abra Stone? What did you think of her acting? Curran. I say I, I would say she did a, a pretty good job, and I think why I w- why I would say that is because she does that whole scene where she pretends to be. Ewan McGregor, she pretends to be Danny. Yeah, she plays in him. the backseat. Right. Yeah. And she's like, oh, this headache. And so I was trying to see him in her, and I thought, these all seem like things that this feels real. This feels believable. I, I'm actually with. Well, yeah. I'm actually with it. She's like, I, I, I could see Ewan, you know, sitting in that seat instead of yep, her. Yep. Exactly. Just everything. Her the her whole demeanor, her mannerisms. I thought that yeah. was a true test right there of her acting chops. And she was. I thought it was she great. Was so cute. Just throughout just this bubbly personality and i think she takes the news well when he turns her down on the park bench when she made that made that trip all the way and he tells oh, her to yeah. shut, like just hold back just like just just lay keep your head down lay low which is ironic ironic because if he had kept his head down if he'd taken his own advice he wouldn't even have reached this level of understanding of who he is and appreciation because he wouldn't have been vulnerable enough to use his abilities to help people mm. so it's like it's like he's giving he's scared for her so in seeing, uh, so in other words, he, he tells her, he gives her advice that he doesn't even, that that maybe was advice he would have given himself in the day, back in the day, but he realizes is wrong because he's not even living that way himself. Anymore. Interesting. Yeah, he was kind of keeping. You know, I, I it, that it's even uh, shown when he he first starts talking to her because she she starts talking to him uh, telepathically and he's he says that funny line, "Let's use our outside voices." Let's use our outside voices. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty comical. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Let's use our outside. Because he's looking around all nervous and on the park bench. He's like, "How's this gonna look for me?" Be staring. You know, a middle aged white man sitting on this bench with this this little teenage girl. They're gonna think I'm like kidnapping you, or I'm like trying to lure you into my my uh, unmarked white van, you know? Right, but she's innocent. What does she know? That's the whole thing. Is yeah, know, he's got more life experience than she does, and so she is just elated. I I finally in my little in my young life where I've never met anybody that was like me, I finally have encountered somebody that is at least. I mean, like she finds him. Right. She finds him randomly and writes hello on his chalkboard. And I wonder, I mean, there are others that were out there, right? There's a little baseball boy. She she found him sort of vaguely, but but she had a real good connection, close connection with Danny's person. So I, I kind of that, that's almost yeah, like a testament to how strong he is, too. So anyway, she makes that trip. She's so excited, as any kid would be. And then she's immediately eager to share her gift everything yeah it's just like let's let's start just talking about this like tell me what you know and tell me how i can i can grow myself and this and that mentor or whatever and then he's just Mm -hmm. so then he starts kind of like 
rebuffing her a little bit. Just oh, let's let's do this. He she he cuts her off at the knees. You know she does to no. Let's do. She starts talking in their head. She doesn't realize the implication. She doesn't realize as a kid that this could look bad. I, I wanted to get your your opinion about her acting because oh, I don't know if you knew this, but this is her first major film role. Interesting. And uh, other than that, she's. She's basically known for playing young Nala in the Lion King Broadway musical. So I I thought what was interesting was she went from uh, Broadway to the silver screen and she's not even doing like a musical role because that's typically what what type of typecasted role you would be placed in is since you you've done singing and dancing and stuff, we're going to put you in that kind of role. So that way it's an easier transition. But she went straight into this really dramatic uh, movie right out the gate. Yeah, it's a dark one. I I like that she did that, too, for for her own sake, for her own career, to go from Disney's Lion King to to something darker, Um, just to kind Mm -hmm. of show her 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 range. And, you know, it's she plays quite quite like a bubbly character, but um, she handles herself, you know, and she has to. And of course, when she portrays. Danny's character in the van, she she has to go. She goes even darker than her typical bubbly, charismatic self. But there's a, there's definitely yep. an on-screen charisma that comes across with that winning smile of hers and just yeah. her whole approach. Even when she, uh, the coolest scene, in my opinion, hands down, has got to be uh, when Rose tra- tra- travels in, in, you know, a- in an astral way through the sky. That was such a beautiful visual representation of flying in the... Most interesting way, I, I just thought it was absolutely stunning. I loved just her Rose's position in, in how she mm-hmm. hurt her, her, the way her legs are. She's not completely stiff. Her, her knees kind of bent a little bit. It's almost really casual, kind of the way she's meditating, right? Like she's in this meditative mm-hmm. state. She's, she's, so she's got, you know, she's sitting in that lotus position. And, and so it's kind of like this really loose uh, space. And that's how she's, that's, that's how she's flying through the sky real cash, you know, she's super, super confident, comes in, thinks she, you know, she's never mm-hmm. been bested before, never. And then she comes in oh, never. and then, you know, the filing cabinets are on the wall, which is a great, great, um, again, representation at this age. What does this girl really know? She's only got filing cabinets. As we grow older, we move from having just filing cabinets. We need more space to the point where somebody, to a th- cathedral, to the point where right? you have somebody like Rose who's lived centuries if not millennia who knows mm-hmm. and is um and has a cathedral like you said right so how how cool to show those two juxtaposed that was a fucking dope scene i Best. love that astral projection yeah. and like you said like how she's like floating through the clouds and then she's essentially just like tracking just the i think the way that they went about showing the visuals because they could have taken any number mm, of directions any. with this but the way the one that they chose was was excellent especially like how how she was flying like vertical because yes. in her in her point of view she's flying um horizontal right, right. looking down at the ground mm-hmm. but then the audience's view she's it looks like she's flying vertical and i thought that was just it was like another just odd way of, of uh of visualizing it yeah and it was and it was and it didn't pull you out of the narrative in fact it was like it was not it was everything but distracting in the sense that it didn't take you out to go oh this looks fake it didn't feel fake at all it was just super super cool and then for her to fucking go from you know you see her traveling vertical where the the land is just below her and then she descends through the clouds so beautifully it's actually visually stunning it's just like just the clouds are kind of kissing as, as she kind of like descends below them, beneath them. Now she's below them entirely. And next thing you know, it goes from vertical to it, it, it like turning on its side as she like 
the wheels on the plane coming down. It's about to land. Right. She comes down <laughs> and then just on a little running, a little running start. Yeah, a little, a little hop and a skip. Yeah, um, and even even before that. The the uh, the scene where she she's spying on her in that supermarket was fucking awesome. I loved the visual of that scene, yeah. like how she Rose knew she was you know just like shopping for groceries, and she she turns and looks over her shoulder and she knows someone's someone's watching her and she's like I bet you it's that little girl. Let me go check. So she walks over to just some sort of like refrigerated window and starts looking at the milk on the inside and she is able to see. Abra looking out her bedroom window, spying on her in the, the store. So she's like, okay, all right. Well, let me just uh, play a little trick on it. And that's when she, she reaches basically like spiritually into Abra's room and you see her like fingers grip the right. back of her head. And that, that just like freaks Abra out. She's like, what the fuck? Cause that's like, she wasn't expecting that yeah, at all. Right. And so she's just like, get the fuck out of my head and yeah. like just blast her away. Yeah. And, and to everyone else in the store, they're just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, this this milk just blew up, yeah. you know? And it, like, knocked this lady and halfway across the store. again, because she won't, she's <laughs> relentless. Like, like, Rose is still trying to get in, and she pushes her one more time. So she, Rose slides again one more time further away. Um, yeah. I think that's when her hat actually does get knocked off, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it falls when she falls the first time. But, yeah, that was a cool represent- visual representation as well. You know, I wanted, I, I did want to also touch on the fact that uh, since we're talking about great child actors mm-hmm. and how, how, how good Abbott has done in her first major role, essentially, I wanted to do a shout-out to that baseball kid as well because... <laughs> I think he was a fucking Thank great you. actor, and all he, his acting was essentially just him screaming, but he did it in such a believable way. Like oh, you really dude. felt for that kid. That torture scene yeah. was gut wrenching, dude. It was absolutely gut wrenching, and I would even say, and it, it was it was very difficult to watch yeah. too. I, I dude, I yeah, absolutely. I would say that I was. It was tough. I, I think I actually looked away a couple times just to look at my. I think I was writing some notes down, but use it as an It seemed re- really visceral, really, really real. He's so pleading with the, yeah, he's, he's pleading with them. I mean, and it's funny too, because one only thing that I thought was like, oh, that's a little, eh, is he doesn't, he's, he's over that dude's back, but he's not entirely over that dude's back when they're, when he pulls him out of the van and he's like kicking mm-hmm. and screaming, but he's not punching that dude in the face. And he's also not scratching him in the face. I feel like any kid who's, you know, they're not going to just be like beating on a person on their back like this when his hand can just easily just, er, er, I don't know. <laughs> But but that aside, because I mean, hey, they're actors, and they're not gonna like. You don't want to hurt, hurt the other actor. Exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, he's 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 a kid doing his jab without you know wrecking somebody's mm-hmm. uh you know money maker. <laughs> but I, I I really liked before the whole death scene. I really liked the scene when they approach him, and the guy's like, "Hey, number nineteen. Oh, along yeah, the, side the, the side of the road. Side of the road, and he's just walking along." And just his attitude, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could totally see myself doing that when I was playing baseball as a kid, just being like that, like, no, 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 thanks. But but it's not like he's I don't know. It didn't feel forced in any way. I, I really liked that short little bit that you got to see outside of him kicking and screaming and pleading for his life. Yeah, it was that was really painful to, to watch. Yeah. Oh, his name is Jacob Tremblay, Canadian actor. OK, Hey man. Canadians are, are killing it. You need only watch, you know. Ah, uh, that that is where I've seen him. So he was in that that comedy Good Boys. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that one, but that's essentially like super bad, but with younger kids, and it was fucking hilarious. Uh, like I highly recommend that movie. Good Boys. Yeah, I'd, that's right. I actually think I've seen a trailer for it. But so he's one of the main characters in that one, and he does a great job in that one too. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad that he. 
got an opportunity. Oh, it actually came out the same year, 2019, as Doctor Sleep. Oh, shoot. So that was a good year for yeah, him. Heck yeah, hopefully we see more of him. What did you think of that uh, that fight scene? Well, the, the confrontation when the True Not members come looking for Abra, and they think that they got the upper hand by uh, sending Elle Fanning out, uh, Snake by Andy out, to to go basically push her so that way she can get close enough to trank her. And then she ends up figuring out that she basically astral projects herself into this teddy bear. So she, like, tranked this teddy bear. Right. And then uh, Which is the that's None when Danny and, and his friend get the jump on right. him. Right. I thought that was or, cool. Or, I guess, the jump on the team. It was cool to... I thought it was cool that they got to show, again just how powerful she is it, 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 it wonders never cease to amaze right so just as much as abra is being surprised by things that she never knew was possible before in her young life because she's never met people who thought who were like her but also never met people who had you know malicious intentions with these same mm-hmm. powers so when she experiences that she experiences um rose's hand rosie's hand coming out and grabbing the back of her head these were this was new to her but just as just as new as that experience was to her so also was it a new experience for them to see some somebody astrally project their body into a place like none of them would have fallen for that and otherwise. make it make it so everyone there sees her there right, so she's essentially she's creating this illusion that looks so real and it, it tricks everyone right, everyone falls for that one i thought that was cool outside of that i thought i hated i hate i dude i actually wrote notes about that one just I just noted it at the very least. I didn't write a whole lot about it. I just thought like, how fucking lame these people who have the shine are like using guns like lame, and they all get murked in the same ones. Everybody dies in that one scene, except for of course the crow and and Rosie. And, but I thought that was the lamest shit. I was like, please, like when I when I the first time I saw it, I just took it for what it was. I was just like, oh, this is really cool. Ooh, this whole showdown. Uh, guns to the battle, right? I was like, gun. They're bringing guns to a battle with mystical beings. These people have lived for millennia. Some of them, some of the more recent. Yeah. But either way, they're able to drink souls. They're kind of like the vampire of the spirit world. They're vampires of the spirit world. Only they're, they're they're not affected by sunlight, obviously. But um, right. They they take that and they and they it helps them to live more, live longer. Um. So I I wasn't really annoyed by that scene like how you were because. I felt like the everyone else in the crew, they, they just appeared to be kind of lame to me. Like, they didn't seem like they were particularly impressive in any way. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me wonder why they were even recruited or why they, they helped found this True Not cult anyway. Because I felt like if they were so picky about who they bring into their crew, why the fuck did they even choose half of these people? All those characters seem really lame. Like, they didn't they didn't have any skill anything going for him at all right and then that's why I, I felt okay with them pretty much just being cannon fodder during that yeah. scene because i'm like fuck them you know i don't even give a shit well, about these characters and that's a and that's a, that's a that's a good point that you bring up too where i guess you know you can't you can't please everyone as i said before this guy uh what, i forget the director's name flanagan yeah mike flanagan mike flanagan you know he's trying to do a whole lot by having by bringing all three worlds together in the same one yeah. so again kudos to him but it was those characters were fucking two-dimensional really really flat it's hard though like in a tv show you can really do a lot more character development you know game of a la game of thrones which was so interesting and so complex it could go so many seasons because it really fleshed out what each character was like so you actually gave a shit about a lot of these characters no very few people were just two-dimensional assholes um 
mm-hmm. that you were okay with just watching get murked or, you know, just like, oh, whatever. Some people, when you watch them die, I mean, you hated them. You're just like, yes, absolutely. Please, Joffrey, just roast in, in hell. Um, but did you die? Did you die? But uh, um, these characters, you know, the guy with the mitt, uh, with num- number 19, you know, coaxing him out. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I just thought that that was, that could have been handled differently. But that's interesting because when Grandpa Flick dies, they go, oh, gee, he's dying. This is terrible to watch. Yeah. Oh, God, this is awful. God, this guy's been around forever since, you know, uh-huh. emperors and popes. and gosh, he, he was a king oh, and shit like oh, that, oh, right? Is what she was oh, saying. Oh, oh, geez. Like, I don't want to. Oh, this is terrible. They're terrible. Their backs are to them. And all of a sudden, <laughs> as soon as he dies, oh, I want to go drink his steam. So how I thought that was that was actually a pretty cool effect was it shows the dynamic of the crew because as sad as they all were, that thirst mm. for the steam is even more powerful. And they just drank his steam up immediately. Mm. And they just felt so savage and heartless in that scene. Kind of like cannibalism, you know, which is ironic. I was like, man, these people can't seem to look at their friend dying. And yet they can just, they just murdered a, 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 an innocent boy for their own slowly too with a knife just further and further driving it up his chest driving it up his chest and pushing and and just every now and then when they wanted a little bit more just shoving the knife in this way or that way like Mm -hmm. you know again an innocent boy and yet this man this ancient person uh the giant of course from twin peaks um he they can't watch him die as if that's the worst thing you know what i mean like they were all human at one point in their lives right right yeah because it's strange how you have to you have to essentially die to be able to join their crew, right. you like come back as uh, some sort of like weird undead being that is like you said, it's it's like a, a spiritual vampire. Like they just feed off of other people's spirits and their shine, right. their steam. I have a feeling that in the book they flesh that out a little bit more, and I'm sure they give more. I hope so. Uh, well, I, yeah, you're right. I'm, I can't be certain of this. I do hope that they flesh those characters out more and that they explain more why why it matters that each member dies and why she viscerally feels it so much. Well, but, what did what did you think of Crow Daddy? Because I actually thought his character was pretty interesting. Out of out of like all the other true not members, I felt like he Rose and Snake by Andy were pretty much the only characters I cared about. Right, that's true. He he's got a certain charisma of his own, and you know, part of it is that he is so caring as well. Not that not that uh, Rose isn't caring. This just sometimes she sees the goal. She's like Type A, and I feel like the Crow is uh, hence she makes a great leader i think the crow is more of a mediator i think he's more understanding more Mm -hmm. of an empath with the group and he gets like hey look you know i know he he keeps people level-headed right Right. and and focused right he 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 is the voice of reason he is the one who you know if she's the if she's the leader he's his he's her right hand and so he can he can bend her ear whereas other people may not feel comfortable enough to reach out to her because she is so powerful they don't really have a connection, but it's obvious the two of them have a relationship and he can just level with her in a way that they maybe don't feel comfortable. And he can put it in a way that it will be beneficial to the rest of the group because you see he, he basically pleads the case and she brushes him off and he continues. He's, he's, he's adamant and she finally goes, fine, I'll open up a can, but he's persistent. So, yeah, I, yeah, I get, I get why you feel that way, why he's... I thought, I thought his <laughs> trap was pretty cool, like how he, he essentially sacrifices his fellow True Not members because they, they're serving as the red herring. And then he sneaks up on, on uh, her because they knew that she was going to try that trick again where she like astral projects. And they knew where she lived, so he's like, I'm just going to fucking try her house, see if she's there. And sure enough, she was. 
kills the dad and uh kidnaps her uh the dad is not somebody who's somebody who who would be even it seems even capable of of putting up much of a fight even if he did because they don't really show that they fought i mean who knows maybe he did fight back um just to save his own daughter i mean i don't know anybody who wouldn't try that but not long after uh, it cuts to the next scene crow's leaving the house with uh, a sedated abra over his shoulder you know and d- dad's already dead on the ground right and there and there isn't there's nothing really there's no there's no real big destruction around you don't see broken bottles you no don't struggle see, there's no real struggle it seemed like he was really honestly caught by surprise yeah you get that maybe the dad put up a fight it's, it's assumed that the dad would at least have put up a fight maybe but whether mm-hmm. he does or doesn't the 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 outcome is still the same as the crow says to her the outcome is still the True. same yeah I yeah got you. well that's what he's saying he's like a lot of good people died today and you know that's from his point of view because uh to him his crew was were the good guys and of so course. you know he was like you know a lot of good people died today both uh some of my guys some of your guys but you know end result was the same so right. it was kind of worthless in the end right, right, right. those people didn't need to die and but it was it was actually kind of cool because they they end up taking crow daddy out i wasn't expecting that i thought he was going to make it back and then it, there was gonna be some sort of like fight at the end and that's where crow daddy dies but they actually took him out in transit yeah. to rose so that, that was interesting because the, uh, that was when Ewan McGregor actually tries astral projecting himself, and he he projects himself into Abra. I guess he when he does that, he's able to cancel out of the sedation because she's still sedated by that point. He he's able to just bypass that, and he's completely himself in her body. And that's where he he observes that he's not wearing a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, he's just like, you must have you must have been alive for a while because you're not afraid of death anymore. And uh, evidence to back that up is that you don't wear your seatbelt. And so he just like uh, telepathically yeah. grabs the steering wheel and forces them into a tree. Right. Crow gets launched out of the windshield and, and dies soon after. Right. And like, so I thought that was a pretty interesting scene. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought that was too... Again, all boiling down to let's re- they're they're canceling out like you do in math, right? They can't let's cancel this out, let's cancel that person out. This is all leading up to Rose getting enraged, and then it makes sense. It it, it sells it for you to understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is why she because that was her man, that was right? Her man. And and she was already pissed off at losing all those good people. That was the icing on the, the cake. Icing on the cake. Now I have every excuse. I have nothing to lose. I have nobody to save these cans for anymore. So yeah. I'm just gonna wreck you. Might as well yeah, use them. Might as well use them. So that's why it's like it just it, it it like lends itself to her doing that. So all these things lead up to that. And how how you were mentioning early on how they 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 go like super saiyan later. I didn't realize that that's what happened if you were to just drink a whole canister by yourself because they, they always shared it. Right. So you always get the sense that it was just for survival purposes. It was, it's just to ease the hunger and keep you alive longer. But what happens if you were to just drink it all? And I think that's what ends up making her elevating her to Abra's level because at that point she's really powerful and if I'm not mistaken I would even say that she may have actually gotten a little bit younger like maybe that's that's how you become more powerful is because mm-hmm. when like like how you're mentioning when you get older your powers get muddied right. so maybe her drinking all that has actually caused her to age backwards mm-hmm. and now her power is more is more sure. refined yeah more concentrated yeah, more concentrated that's exactly what the connection i was making as well it's so funny you, you did that too because i was like yeah if that's the case it stands to re- if if um if as you get older your 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 shine gets muddier um less pure um then 
then it stands to reason you're in, in because she's so so old so ancient she is uh her shine by now has got to be much much older. it's it's much weaker <laughs> it's actually technically in some sense much weaker than Ewan McGregor or hmm. Danny's is because he's just lived a regular human life, whereas she's already been living for again, assume presumably hundreds hmm. of thousands, hundreds if not thousands of years. So he's he's significantly younger than her. Right, right. I mean, age wise, they might be around the same, but you know, like in terms of looks, right. but in reality, she's been yeah, around. you you. You get the idea that she has been around a long time as well. Yeah. So, so if that's the case, and we know that, as she said, as you get older, it gets weaker. Then, for her to consume, the more that you consume, the more you, in a sense, kind of like purify what's whatever's there, or maybe I'm going to say push out your shitty shine, but at least what is there? <laughs> maybe the shitty shine, the the muddier stuff, gets pushed down, and what you're left with is more of the pure stuff, more of the, especially of young people. The, the that's why I think they tend to to do that. Man, I, I want to mention around New Hampshire or maybe just the New England area, they travel by car. They road trip all the way to fucking Colorado to go visit the Overlook. Man, that's a hell of a trip. Because oh, yeah. he, you know, she takes a nap and she's like, oh, where are we? In? Oh, we're in Ohio. Where are we going? Colorado. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, they're, they're just taking a road trip, I guess. Yeah. And luckily, they didn't document or they didn't show that whole oh trip because man that would have been like a whole another hour Boring. yeah just not doing anything just cut to the chase here good but stuff. um did you think that it made sense his reasoning for going to the overlook because he's saying that now she's like super powerful he can feel it Abra can feel it that they need to just take this someplace where uh they they have the best chance of succeeding and that's by activating the overlook again having that help them take her out yeah i think it evens the playing field first of all she doesn't even know what she's walking into rose she's delighted mm. i remember when she mm. walked through the front doors and she sees that elevator of blood she just brushes no, it off she doesn't even just brush it off she's delighted in her eyes she's like "Ooh, that's interesting that's kind of cool spooky yeah, ooh, spooky yeah. and then i like this little tricksies little little entertainment for me while i come in here and murder these people uh because she's feeling confident because she's just she's younger now and she's more powerful she knows she's she's mm got it going bossa nova uh in terms of even her looks too because she's like i remember he says you said that you're, you're the last one and she says i'm not i didn't say that i was the last one uh, but i'm the prettiest <laughs> 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 i love that too i was like yeah um yeah i do i i get the sense that they just wanted some sort of excuse to go back course. to the overlook which i was i was completely fine Absolutely. with because man when they do that drone shot again reenacting like going over yeah. the lake and with the same theme same fucking loved yeah. it he ate it right up dude so so much nostalgia a nod, a nod to the fans there, just like hey tip our cap to you guys thanks for hanging out and Oh yeah! For the Thanks for sticking through with yeah. us. You know, like the final portion of the movie is going to be dedicated to just the overlook and uh, so much nostalgia because he walks through. You know, he he tells Abra to stay in the car and let me know when you start seeing her uh, get close because he wants to keep her out of the overlook for as long as possible. But he's going to go in and start turning it on. Essentially, I think that's what he says. He have to wake it up. Wake it up. That's right. So yeah, he he goes through and man, it's it's so cool because the overlook is essentially a time capsule. Like nothing has been right. touched since they left sort of like no one I, I think everyone heard of what, the stories that happened up there and so no one wanted to ever go back and so the overlook essentially just lost business and shut down mm -hmm. it was all boarded up and you have you see all those old vending machines and everything and everything's all dilapidated i, I loved seeing that 
that classic carpeting it's like the fucking like 70s like orange with the brown you know the geometric shapes yes yeah it was great the geometric sh- shapes um dude i almost bought the uh like a shower curtain version of that carpet it's such a fucking cool design <laughs> I think what what people don't realize is the evil resides in the carpet. A little known fact, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Y'all thought it was the uh, the boiler. You know what just what, what just kind of hit me right now with Danny having all those spirits locked away in his his mind and and just collecting them. He can and 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 re- being able to release them at at will. He can essentially use them like Pokemon to do it to do his battling for him. Ever yeah, thought about that? Yeah, basically. I choose you. He's just like bathtub lady. I choose yeah. you. <laughs> I just thought about that right now. I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. That like it's kind of a a dark version of Pokemon. Yeah. Like the same mechanic. Yeah, exactly. And then he just like, but he just goes OP. He says, I'm going to just open up all of them, sucker. Well, I mean, you know, this is what I was mentioning to you uh, before we even start recording was I felt like Abra in many ways was was too overpowered. She didn't really struggle a whole lot in the movie. And she wasn't like no one could really match her abilities wise. She immediately knew how to use her powers and kept growing and adding on top of that immensely. To the fact that, like, she already left everyone in the dust halfway through the movie. Yeah. She was doing shit that, like, no one's ever heard of. No one is even capable of doing. So I, I felt like I, I never really thought she was in any sort of threat. Which I, I feel like it is a little, I would say, a mark against her character. Yeah. Because I, I'm always a big fan of flawed characters. And that's why I like Danny so much. Right. It's <laughs> as though they kind of, like, used him to be the flawed character in the movie. But, yeah, I don't know why she, I don't get why she wasn't there to help him. He told her to run but maybe it's because she hadn't seen some of the tricks before maybe he was afraid once he unleashed all the ghosts of the house that he wouldn't have control protect her yeah that well that's what i thought was he he knew what he was going to do he was going to face her he was going to make it seem like she had the upper hand and then he was going to catch her off guard by unleashing the kraken right? right which essentially is just opening up all the boxes all the spirits that have been haunting him over yeah. the years and just having them attack her because she's, she's a fresh face and they're like, Oh shit, who the fuck are you? You right. know, like you're enticing. So he, he didn't want her to be around because then some of them probably would have started targeting her. So they wanted to make sure she was the prime target. Yeah, she became- but what that worked against them because after she, she was killed, then they turned on him and he was he was already fucked like he couldn't go anywhere right. you know he was injured yeah that's true i mean all, all he knew all he could know perhaps or assume was that she was remember, remember the uh, dick said you were like a thousand watt bulb or something like that in that place man that you just lit that place up mm. they, they 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 wanted to eat you up and that was that was danny that so was imagine danny. abra right. so of course right? well abra too but but um proximity wise because he unleashed them so close to him of course, they're mm-hmm. going to feed off of her first because uh, off of Rose first because she has more shine, more. She's shining brighter of the two. She's shining brighter. She is more powerful than he is. Because she's jacked up on she's Mountain Dew. She's jacked up on Mountain Dew, bruh. She's jacked up on Mountain Dew. She's ready to handle biz. And oh, pounce on that like a spider monkey. <laughs> yeah, because she, she, I mean, you know, she was. She was jacked up on all the all that steam, so she was, she was shining super bright. Um, and that's when, so that's when, from this moment on i don't know if you notice this this was essentially the ending of the shining novel yeah, the 1977 yeah. book it it was when danny gets taken over by the overlook and he starts chasing after abra you know and in, in similar fashion to jack torrance his dad mm-hmm. 
So this was the true to the novel ending. How they they have to essentially use the boiler, which which Danny before he gets taken over and before uh, Rose ever shows up, um, he he starts the boiler because it's it's like a ticking time bomb. He was going to lure her in, have her be at least if nothing else distracted by the spirits, right. and then eventually he knew that the the whole entire hotel was going to get blown up. So he was going to kill two birds with one stone by taking her out and taking out the overlook. Right. Yeah. And so the 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 whole premise of blowing up the overlook was what happened in the shining novel right that's that's how it all comes to a conclusion i that much i do know the boiler was everything um Mm -hmm. and that was mike flanagan the director he specifically wanted to give stephen king that proper ending because uh king always felt that he was robbed of that proper ending by kubrick Mm -hmm. when kubrick decided to incorporate the hedge maze Mm -hmm. ending and the the hypothermia death you know for jack right right so he wanted to do the actual true to life ending with by blowing up the the overlook but it was still cool that they incorporated the hedge maze because that was that mental warfare that they were doing right when danny plays the architect because he knows the maze better than anyone else. Mm. So he he builds the maze, the mental maze, true to form a hedge maze that he actually experienced. And then so he, he traps everyone in there. But Danny and Abra are both kind of double teaming her, like whittling away at her in this maze. Mm. That's when Rose eventually figures out that she's in the, it, it's just an illusion and she breaks out of it. Right. 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 Prior to her, mm-hmm. prior to her dying. Yeah, so it's a nice little nod to Kubrick's maze, but then to finish it off, the coup de gras being uh, the, the boiler. Yep. Even. And in the, in the final moments, I thought it was, it was interesting because Danny envisions himself as a child being comforted by Wendy before the overlook blows up, mm-hmm. killing him mm-hmm. in the process. And I, I kind of wonder what that, was supposed to 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 mean you know it's like was that him finally coming to terms and and being okay with his life yeah with his past right before he dies like yeah coming full circle healing finally in a way i kind of see that as that yeah like he he makes his peace with his dad uh, in, in as much as he's able to and and takes the path that his dad couldn't take wasn't wasn't strong enough to take. And he he says this piece when at at the bar, right? When he's walking through the overlook for the first time uh, since the that tragic event with his dad, and he's talking to Lloyd, the bartender, who the overlook specifically uh, makes him look like Jack Torrance. And like how I was saying earlier, I felt that the overlook using Jack's trapped and tormented soul against danny in that scene they're like you know we're gonna instead of our usual vision for lloyd we're gonna make him jack torrance and make jack think he's lloyd Mm -hmm. and so that you know that's like mental warfare against danny but danny was was strong enough to to not take the bait i think at the same time he used the opportunity to say his piece with his dad, something he never got to tell his dad when he was a kid because he was, you know, he was so traumatized. There was a lot to take in as a child. So now that he's he's been able to dwell on it and think over uh, everything that he's been through and everything that he's he's wanted to say, he finally gets that out to his dad, even though Lloyd keeps saying, you know, I, you have me mistaken for someone else. And eventually, I think they, they finally just accept the fact that, all right, he knows what we're trying to do. So we're just going to fucking just dig that that knife into him. And that's when he's just like, take your medicine, you know, in, in similar fashion to what Jack always said to him mm-hmm. when he was younger. Mm-hmm. That version of Jack 
doesn't like it when Danny refuses. He's like, no, I'm not taking the bait. And so he just smacks that that glass out of the way and startles him in. And you can almost see that child, that inner child come back to the surface in Danny in that moment. Like he's kind of scared of his dad because that was probably similar to the anger that Jack would take out on Danny when he was younger. Mm -hmm. He had that that same aggression. Maybe in the process of healing his old wounds, but that doesn't mean that he's completely healed and that he's able to face his dad and stand up at the bar and be like, fuck you or something like that. Now he's still, Mm -hmm. he's still like working through it. Loves his dad. Oh yeah. I I just, in in so many ways and some way, and I don't know, trying to win him over. And after they finally blow up the, the overlook and, and align it with how the shining novel actually ended, Mm -hmm. um, kind of goes into some sort of epilogue where Abra survives. And sometime later she's shown being able to actually communicate with dance projection where they assure each other that they'll, they'll both be okay. So that's, you know, I was just kind of wrapping things up. What I thought was interesting about that scene was Dan watches over Abra as Dick Halloran did for him. Mm -hmm. So he kind of plays that role. So that also comes full circle. Yeah, exactly. It was a nice, it was a nice, uh, they tie it up nicely at the end. Because Dick, uh, I think Dick finally stopped visiting Dan um, around the time when he he asked him, you know, so what's uh, what goes on in those boxes in my mind, you know, when I chop the spirits and things like, do you really care? And so I think that he, he even tells him, you know, yo, this is the last time in his last visit, he convinces Danny to finally help Abra. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, she's reaching out to you. He even says, look, you just landed in my lap in the kitchen of that hotel and I'm still on the hook, yeah, I'm still for that, on the hook you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought that was that was a pretty powerful line because you don't really think about that. You just you see that Dick is so so willing to help Danny since that that time that they first met, and you don't really get a sense that man he's still consulting him. You know, right. years later, right. decades later, yeah. and he's like, I'm still on the hook for yeah. you. You know, and but but he doesn't mind because he's like, you know, like I care about you so much that you know this is this is my life now, and I accepted that. And I think that's what Dan essentially does for Abra, you know, is like he once Dick told him, like, you, you need to help her. That's when he went 100 percent and he went all in and he's like, I'm invested now and I'll help you however long you need it. And so you you get the idea that he's he's going to pop up even now and then throughout Abra's life, her entire life that and, and give her advice, you know, when she needs it. Right. But that, at the mo- at the most opportune times but for Dan, for Danny, he's not. That won't be too hard for him because you get remember because Dick says like how long ago was that that I visited you because he's like oh yeah that was like you know eight years ago and he goes oh mm-hmm. see because time doesn't even it's hard to know like where I'm at eight years didn't feel like it was that long so mm-hmm. for, for Danny who knows her whole yeah. lifespan might not be might not be as like long as as we might think yeah it's a good movie I thought yeah. I thought it was a great movie, though. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I was actually surprised because I had no idea that there was even a sequel, The the Shining Novel. Yeah, same. And, you know, it, it didn't come out that long ago, 2013, so... You know, he waited so long after to, to write this book, and I, I imagine he he goes into a lot more detail yeah. in the book with the characters and I everything. So. Probably, probably the true knot, for sure. <laughs> um, this, this movie, with what it was trying to accomplish, you know, tying both books and the Kubrick movie together... I mean, he did a damn good job. That's uh, a task that not a lot of people would be comfortable taking right, on. Right, right. The fact that he signed on for that, like, mm-hmm. I think he did a good job 
bringing what he could into it given the fact that it was not like again with a tv show you could you could stretch it out much longer and develop those characters that's if that's the only thing that wasn't so great where they all just get offed in a gunfight which again i have my qualms mm. about then, it, then it's not so <laughs> terrible i don't know I, I don't, yeah yeah and you know going back some of my favorite things of the movie i just really love the visuals and of course you know the nostalgia factor going back to the overlook was fucking great i had a blast watching that the music oh, yeah. from the original, oh, yeah. excellent. Something for everybody. So haunting, you know, that theme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, great movie, though. I actually had a, a blast. Yeah, it was fun watching it a second time, honestly. I liked it I liked it the first time, too. I think that's a, I think that's a testament to a good quality movie is if you can watch it a second time and you still think it's pretty good. Well, that's a wrap. I think we were pretty thorough because we went uh, a little bit over. And I think we, we covered pretty much every corner of Dr. Sleep and, and then some, yeah. as we tend to do. <laughs> yes, quite thoroughly, <laughs> if I may say so myself. And I did. I did actually end up using this notepad to nice. take some notes. So, yeah, I mean, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you, dude. Yeah, I'm getting it, it was a lot of fun as always. Yes, absolutely. I'm like, I'm like, like my battery is starting. To... Oh, is it? Yeah, because I, I, I guess we better wrap this yeah, up. I then worked out, I worked out earlier or yeah, before we got on. So I can feel it. I'm like, oh, my, my spidey senses aren't moving anymore. Um, but no, dude, this was definitely really fun. Yeah, well, this has been Affliction Auto's podcast, episode three, Dr. Sleep. If you made it this far in the podcast, then. You, you've earned yourself a date with the bathtub lady. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations to you, <laughs> good sir. <laughs> you're, 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 you